Hey everyone, and welcome back to Lee to Be, the sassiest podcast for B2B. I'm your host, Lee Moskowitz. Meet Melissa Moody, a marketer with an exceptional journey, including a remarkable 14-year tenure at Google, where she navigated the realms of large partner marketing and travel. From advising major travel advertisers to managing global curriculums, Melissa's Google journey is a saga of digital strategy mastery. But you may know Melissa as the founder and CMO of Gated, or from her podcast, Two Pizza Marketing, where small team marketers can feast on bite-sized brilliance. Hold tight, though, because she's not just conquering the marketing realm. Melissa is also the co-founder of Wednesday Women, a movement amplifying the voices of outstanding female executives. And if that's not enough for you, she's currently in stealth mode, getting ready to revolutionize the world of social media managers. Get ready for another entertaining educational episode of Lee to Be. Hey, Melissa. Hey, what an incredible intro. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's all downhill from here. So, yeah. So my first question for you, very important. Yeah. Can you see Russia from your house? Mm. Uh, it's snowing now. No. So not. Yeah, I would say normally. Yes, but not not today. No, uh, not quite. <laughs> You could see Russia from Alaska, but not from my particular house in Alaska, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I had to ask because you are in Alaska. Um, I, I had to just, you know, the Tina Fey, Sarah Palin. Totally. Uh, but, I've got but my yeah, blazer you have a, on. I'm, I'm getting channeling you a, the Tina Fey. You have Fey. a snow day today. You have a snow day right now, you were saying. Yeah. It's day two of official Alaskan winter up here. So yes, it is snow on the ground and it's coming down or all around. What like how many inches? Like what does it take for a snow day to happen in Alaska? Well, there is a uh, a groundswell of anger at our current superintendent because he came from Texas, so he's been calling snow days oh. at like one inch. But mm-hmm. that said, we got almost almost two feet dropped overnight last night. So that's wow. You know, honestly, my husband and I would still probably drive to school in this and drop the kids off, but apparently the buses can't run, so it's a snow day. Do you have like the chains on the tires and stuff like that? Better than that, we have studded tires. We have tires that have studs in them all year round, or not all year round, oh, wow. all winter. Mm-hmm. Studs. Wow. I see. I, I shouldn't have asked. I don't know anything about cars. Um, but uh, all right, I promise we have some real questions. I just had to ask Russia. Totally. Um, I like. I I usually don't like to do the whole like how'd you get here, but you have such yeah. a a cool journey. You were a high school teacher, then you did freelance for a few years. Yep. Then you had an amazing career at, at Google for, for over a decade, 14 years, started as an associate, worked your way up to global, global manager. That yep. is amazing. Before we even get into anything, how did you go from high school teacher to, to Google? You know, I like telling the story because I think actually a lot of marketers have kind of untraditional paths and mine definitely is. Um, so I was a teacher at a school for students with language-based learning disabilities. My background, uh, actually in college, I, one of my, I double majored, one of them was linguistics. I love language. I love how the brain processes it. So I kind of fell into teaching because I knew some incredible people at the school, got my master's. I have my master's in education, spent some time doing that. Great job. When I moved coasts, so I was doing that back East and I moved to the West coast. I looked for another uh, educational environment that would be as fun to teach in, would be as engaging and would let me do the great things I've been doing back East. And frankly, I couldn't find it. And I got fairly burnt out uh, on uh, the educational ecosystem, I will call it. I was a little bit grouchy at how slow things move. I love 
teachers, education is a wonderful, wonderful, you know, career, but it does move slower than some other careers. And I am a very fast mover. If you know anything about me, if anybody's ever talked with me or worked with me, I run very fast. And so I realized that about myself and I decided I wanted to see what those skills translated to in the corporate worlds. I was very lucky. I, I, you know, I basically said in teaching, you have a message and you have to get that message to your audience and they need to understand it. Well, that's marketing Mm -hmm. folks. Um, As (laughs) Jess Cook would say, that's marketing baby. Um, And so when I was on the West coast looking for my next role, I just looked for companies that I wanted to be at companies that had good leadership, um, places that I knew worked really fast and places that would let me grow from the ground up in marketing. And I was very fortunate that uh, Google had a small and rapidly growing presence in the Seattle area. When I joined, we only had 35 Google employees in all of Seattle. Um, wow. And now a couple thousand in Seattle, a couple thousand in Kirkland probably at this point. So I joined when it was still really small up there and there was so much opportunity I was given incredible opportunities to work on big projects from day one, and I'm very grateful for that. So part of it was my spinning the story of how teaching goes to marketing, and part of it was just finding a company that was willing to take a risk on someone who hadn't you know, come up through the marketing ranks. So, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, you were there at 14 years. Um, <laughs> if your career was a person, it could have had a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. I feel like you don't... You don't really hear that anymore with people. Like, you're not at a company's 14 years anymore, um, especially startups that, that just lay people off. But that we're seeing less and less of that with the newer mm-hmm. generations. Why do you think that is? I think part of it, to your point, is businesses are changing rapidly as a business. You know, sometimes, like with startups, they're uh, getting funded, they're falling through or they're scaling up or they're pivoting. There's rapid changes now in business that I don't think used to be as rapid. So even from a marketing perspective, if you come in somewhere as a marketing leader, we used to be asked to show up on day one with a three to five year plan. I mean, I would laugh at someone if they asked me for a three to five year plan right now. We have no idea what's happening in three years. So I think 30, 60, 90 is enough for me, right? Like three years. 30, 60, 90, and we're good to go here. And so I think just fundamentally businesses are moving faster. I will say the reason I was able to stay at Google for that long is Google is a big company, but within the company, it changed fast. It, there was always a new initiative. There was always a new product. I was there when they acquired YouTube. I was there when they acquired AdMob. Like fundamental massive changes to the business kept things fresh. So yes, it was the same company, but I mean, I would say every 18 months, there was like a whole new pendulum shift in what I was working on or what the business needed. So even though I stayed at Google a long time, that same change of business was happening, but that used to be 18 months. It feels like at smaller companies that can be every six months now. And it's, that's not easy to deal with, but I also think it removes the stigma, especially as a lot of marketers are out there looking for their new jobs. Like it removes the stigma of You don't have to look for a three to five year job. You just have to find something that would be really valuable for you and the company for 12 months. If it lasts longer, Mm -hmm. great. If your perspective change after 12, great. You've added something to your skill set or you've added um, something to the value to the company and the next thing's up. It's kind of nice that we're moving away from short stints equals bad. Mm -hmm. I, I, I hear people more often telling a story of 
what those short stints represent versus trying to excuse the fact that they had, you know, that, oh, that one, what, that one year thing was a blip. No, it's not a blip. You learned yeah. something, you moved, you grew. Mm-hmm. And, and startups too are just a whole different ball game from corporations, big companies. Um, but I, I'm a paid media guy. I, I'm a big Google ads person. So I might nerd yeah. out with you a bit. But oh, I, I, I underst- miss it. I'll do it all day. <laughs> so I understand you did a lot with education around mobile ad campaigns, right? Yes. So when I when I was my first role kind of was really on industry analysis. So I worked on, on understanding the travel market. And then I would go into our bigger partners and help them understand the travel market. What are the trends that we're seeing? What are the shifts in the market? What are advertisers doing in the market? That eventually became all about mobile. Every trend, every everything we were talking about was what mobile and eventually a lot of focus on mobile web specifically. What was a changing landscape there? So then my career toward the end actually morphed fully into a focus on the mobile side of things. Um, so yeah, but there's one story I always tell about both what I, my experience with search ads at the beginning and the moving into mobile web. And that is everything I ever talked about, everything I ever coached these big partners on was based on what the users were doing with Google. So here's an interesting one that brings it into the modern world. You know, at the time I spent a lot of time saying you could be, here's a good story. Let me tell it in the context of stories. It's more fun. We worked with Airbnb. They were obviously built off of a native app. That was what the business was built off of. They were expanding globally. So in that global expansion, a big thing to understand is that people in countries like India aren't downloading apps. They're expensive. Mm -hmm. They take up a lot of bandwidth. They need mobile web. So I literally got the fun role of walking into Airbnb and saying, if you're going to be expanding globally, your website loads in and we sat there. It loaded in 17 seconds. That's how long it did on the day that we first started this conversation. They're an amazing company. They spun up a team. They built their own fast-loading mobile web infrastructure, like incredible. But the conversation was around your end user needs to get to you. They need to be able to use it. That same discussion I had yesterday for search and AI is like, you know, I used to coach people on SEO, build the content that people want to engage with because Google is incentivized Mm -hmm. to produce pages that get interaction, right? Like forget all of the keyword stuffing, forget all those old things build the content that is actually good because Google has a better business model. They sell more ads if if they can link to good content. That still exists in our world of AI SEO. And so I think there's all these lessons around forget all the fancy stuff and just get back to serving up what the end customer needs because that that's what you're incentivized on. That's what Google's incentivized on. And honestly, that's what humans like. So that was a little bit of a ramble, but... No, no, that that was great because I I've worked a lot in in the mobile ads, um, as well. And do you? So, to me, mobile ads are like the the perfect thing for for app installs. Like, yeah, ob- like it's up. obvious. It's obvious because it's like people are on their mobile devices. It's going to open up. Um, so app installs are, are really great there. I've also done like a ton of like click to call. Yeah. Um, but. Google, I mean, since you've been there, it's changed so much. Where do you see mobile ads changing or rising from here? I don't think I'm probably the best person to give the latest because it's been 
you know, three years since I was there and God knows how much has changed about the mobile ads ecosystem in particular, but I would answer in general about the way that Google is testing um, their AI, their generative AI um, search results. So if you just look at the different mockups of space on the page that is being given to search results, paid and organic, and the generative AI section, you can see on a month to month basis, they're testing different layouts. They're testing the, Mm -hmm. the above the fold space and what it's being used for. So more generally, I would say that is a thing to be aware of, which is how are those tests in generative AI results affecting your ad campaigns and, and be very understanding of, of that. Um, cause it's, I don't think anything's settled yet. I think there's a lot of, I mean, just by how often it changes, you can tell that they're testing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of the, the featured snippet sections. Yeah. Cause those are great. Cause ads are, ads are great, obviously, but you're paying there for the top three. You're only going to be, be there when you're paying Organic yep. getting that top listing is is great. Really hard to do, but especially not on mobile. F- yeah, yeah, right. But the featured the featured snippets, which is just sometimes just different question stuff. Those are great because you can get those specific questions answered in your blog post. Get to the top. Now you're yes. probably going to get fewer web traffic from that because they're not yep. clicking fully to your site all the time. But mm-hmm. you're getting your name to the top without doing ads. Yeah. Agree. Agree wholly. I mean, the other thing on mobile too is, um, and this will apply more less to like the B2B software side, but more to any of anybody with a location is all of the business information posting, you know, the, the location info, updating your Google My Business, like that stuff is critical if we're talking mobile. You won't be landing up in the top if you don't have that updated and clear. Get your postcards set and verified people. Get your Google My Business mm-hmm. listings. Oh my God, the done. postcards. Yeah. <laughs> So you did a lot in, in the travel part, like you, you mentioned, I, and you say you travel a lot too. I'm curious, how has working in travel changed the way you either travel or like plan your trip? Like how has that changed the way you do it? Wow. That's a great question. I haven't thought about it too much. I mean, I will say for, I, I'm not so much in that world anymore, but I was in the travel world for almost my entire time at Google. So I was working with people who are travel companies. My, you know, my boss is a big player in this, the global travel, you know, industry. Um, I learned a lot of tips. So there's definitely a lot of like tips and tricks in terms of managing points and like which, you know, which hotel portfolios are, are better to stay with. I will say I do sometimes rely on Airbnb and VRBO, but I tend to be a hotel stayer still. Um, and I think hotels are actually seeing a little bit of a resurgence as maybe the cost savings of the the you know um, yeah. vacation rental market. It used to be you could save a lot on costs, and now it feels like oh, it's creeping back up to parity. So I'm a big hotel stayer. I like um, judging hotels a little bit as I go around. I like seeing which ones, um, I think there's a couple of boutique hotels that I've stayed at recently. I really love Moxie. I think it's in the Marriott portfolio, but Moxie hotels are really interesting. They're very clever and witty and a little bit more, I don't know, Gen X. I'm a millennial. I'm an elder millennial, so I'm, I can't speak to it, but you know, I'm a younger millennial. Um, so go. like we're the same boat, but, uh, <laughs> so like, do you, all right, so let's say you go and check a hotel room, right? Yeah. Do you oh. then put go in incognito the next time you're looking at it, or do you stay in the same browser? 
Oh, I do that for flights. I I think flights. Flights, I do it. I think flights, they will. I mean, the data systems behind flight pricing would blow anyone's mind. The the time the amazing algorithms they have to tweak flight pricing based on a billion factors, maybe not a billion, that's hyperbole, um, are crazy. So I definitely search for flights in incognito all the time because I know that if I if I'm looking and my husband's looking and then we go back, they're gonna I'm gonna see higher prices, even from the airlines that I love and that I fly all the time. Hotels, I don't do it as much with hotels. Maybe I should. I also and take this with a grain of salt. I used to work all the time with the big aggregators. So I spent a lot of time working with Expedia. Great company, great people. Mm-hmm. But I will always shop on both the aggregators and then the hotel sites. Um, yeah. I just can't imagine. Well, sometimes picking... sometimes the fees too, like it doesn't make sense. Like one's cheaper, but then you add all those fees. Um, yeah. yeah. I've done Expedia a bunch. Yeah. Also, it's the worst part about being deep in the travel industry is you just hear all the bad stuff, right? So like when you talked about checking into hotel room, like, uh, yeah, like don't drink from the cups, like check your, check the corner of the bed for bed bugs. Like I'm, I'm a neurotic, you know, me too. So I, I mean, I'm just a naturally anxious hypochondriac. So the very first thing I do, um, I don't put my, my bags on the bed because that's Mm -hmm. disgusting. Um, I'll put it on the floor or I'll put it on the chairs um, mm-hmm. The chairs are never cleaned because they don't need to. Um, so chairs are disgusting. People don't sit on them. But first thing I do is I, I check for bed bugs. I lift the mattress. I use yep. my phone flashlight. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gross. I check to make yeah, sure the don't... bathroom's clean. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of those like little trips, and people are probably better at it than I am. Plus, I, I've gotten a little bit uh, into a hermit since COVID. I think not in a bad way, but. I definitely travel out of state less. And up here, um, so for those who didn't pick it up earlier, I live in Alaska, but we call it everything outside of Alaska, we just call it outside. So I'll say like, oh, I'm, I'm going outside. That means I'm leaving the state. I mean, in different contexts, but. So what do you say if you're like just going for a walk? You say you go for a walk. Well, yeah, like I'm going to go outside for a walk. <laughs> but if, I, if somebody says, where are you going on your trip? Like, are you going outside? I'll be like, yeah, I'm going outside. <laughs> <laughs> or, or we call it we call it the lower forty eight if we're going down to you guys. Interesting. I'm learning so much about Alaska. Um, <laughs> now I, I did mention gated, um, and I know it recently closed uh, or you closed it down. But I, I just did want to talk about it because one, it really did disrupt the the startup email world for yeah. um, you know while, while it was there. But you you raised a lot for charity. You raised five hundred k, right? I, I just want to mm-hmm. talk about that a bit. Yeah, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be on an incredible podcast um, that's nonprofit focused called We Are For Good. If people haven't listened to it, it's an incredible one. Big shout out to them. Um, but I talked a little bit about the building of uh, micro donations into business. So thinking about ways that it's not asking people to cut a check or donate to charity, but thinking about ways that we could put in these little amounts that really add up to a lot. So our business model at Gated was not dependent on raising funds for charity. It wasn't the mission. The mission was to fix email, right? But the way that we structured it, every single time somebody used the product or every time somebody paid to reach one of our users, a piece went to charity. And so although that wasn't our front and center mission, um, over a year and a half of a public product, we raised 500000 in value for charities. And so to think creatively at any business you're at, is there a way to 
put in those little bits, which with zero effort over time turn into big bits. It's an interesting thing to think about. And I would love to see all sorts of, you know, not just startup founders, but all sorts of different enterprise software. Think about, are there small ways that we could just layer that in and do a little bit more good? Um, One of the companies that has a great marketer I know, um, it's called Ecology, and Ecology ending with an I. And they basically have functionality where when people do their like auditing and financial software, it's planting trees. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. there's so many little wins in this world that when we're all running to have our business succeed, we don't often think, is there also some good I can do along the way? And definitely, it was it was definitely a one of the many positives of Gated that we could leave that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I would get them and I'd see, oh, what, what charity did this person pick? Because yes, it was given to charity, but you could also learn a bit more about that person. So exactly. then you personalize. And so it, it was fun. It was good. Um, yeah. But I, I went right into Gated, but you went from working at perhaps the biggest tech giant. I don't know if I if that's true, but one of the biggest giants, one of the biggest companies, definitely a tech giant, worked with gigantic advertisers. You mentioned Airbnb, Expedia. Then you dove into the startup world, which is just very different. So yes, there's that transition, but what were the differences that that you uncovered? I mean, for me, it's probably 99% positive. I, um, I, it's so freeing to not have to live in the world of bureaucracy and meetings for meetings sake. You know, Mm -hmm. our, our entire cadence and pacing was built around if there's not an agenda and we don't need to meet, we're not meeting, keep running. That was it. Um, it's also built around if you see an opportunity and it would help with our stated goals, chase it, like go after the thing that is priority. That is the most impact for your time coming from Google that like the last years at Google, it was a massive, massive company. When I left, I didn't have any of that in the last few years, there was good business happening, but I will say it was a lot of bureaucracy. So lack of bureaucracy at the startup level, two thumbs up. Hmm. That also means your chaos level is turned up to 11. So if you are not someone who thrives in chaos, maybe even enjoys chaos, don't go to the startup world. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It is absolutely crazy. And I mean, the other thing I'll throw there is a lack of financial stability. I mean, that's part of the reason a job at Google is nice is I had stability. I had a paycheck stepping in as not only uh, you know, a founding CMO, but actually as a f- co-founder, there's a lot of financial risk, not just risk of the business, but there's a lot of financial risk tied to it. So there's a lot of risks, but the rewards are the lack of bureaucracy the ability to build something yourself, to have your hands on it and to deliver something great like we just talked about. Um, And then also maybe the similarity across both was I've worked with really great people at both. The best part about all my time at Google was the amazing people I worked with. And that's also the similarity that I feel like on the ground at Gated. I was working with really great people. And so, you know, you have to cultivate your own garden of people. I think you have to work for that, but, um, that would be the one shared similarity. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. That's insightful. Um, what, what I see a lot is people will come from these big companies, a lot of times marketers, and I'll just pick on them because we're, we're both marketers, yeah. but marketers will come from these big companies, then will join series A, B, C's. 
and then we'll like try to do the same big tech enterprise strategies and it just doesn't work on that startup level because one your resources aren't there but it's a different game and i I just see so many people make that mistake yes i will say i think a a more like metaphysical aspect of that is the ego you have to drop your ego because Mm -hmm. i've seen a lot of marketers show up get hired into you know a startup vp of marketing role or whatever and say great i'm ready to hire my team well guess what you may not have a team you may have to be doing it like you got to sweep the floor yourself um, and so that is definitely the same idea of it, you cannot do things the same way you did either by channel fit, right? Like you can't just run the same highly structured search ads and call it a win. You got to be willing to test things. And from a perspective level, you have to be willing to sweep the floor in certain cases. You can't just be sitting and managing teams. Yeah. Yeah. One, sure. two, like your market is a lot more saturated. No one's going to have the brand recognition that you you have at these other jobs. But yeah, a lot of them too is, is and again, we're just picking on them because we're both marketers. I, I think once you get to a certain seniority, especially at bigger companies, you mm. have so much of that bureaucracy that you're dealing with that you, you, you're just not in the weeds of things anymore, which is yep. important in the startup space. Yes. Yep. That was my, that's probably my favorite thing is, I like being, you know, I love strategy is obviously where I thrive the most, but I like to feel like I have some active knowledge of what I'm working on. It feels a little scary to me when I feel so out of touch that I can't talk about how search works, right? Or And, and mm-hmm. I know you can't do that for every channel. We Some of them we have more expertise in than others, but I like to understand what's happening, um, especially now with all the changes, you know, with AI, all the MarTech tools that are popping onto the scene, like... I at least like to have a, a whiff of what those are about. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So, I mean, let's look forward because you have something really exciting going on. You mm. are working in stealth mode on, on a new tool. that's going to revolutionize social media managers world. Um, what can you tell us about it? So when I was at Gated, we built a, we, we grew from zero to a fairly recognizable, I will say fairly loved brand um, pretty rapidly in about a year, year and a half. And one of the tricks we used, a little bit of special sauce that we used was an internal tool that we built. It's very much a point solution. It's not a big platform. It was just one little trick that we used. And what I can tell you is a lot of customer advocacy programs, there are a lot of uh, employee advocacy programs, very complex they're all built for the marketer. And what we realized is we built a tool that makes it really fun and easy and fast for the person who's advocating for you. Not, not, I mean, it needs to be easy for the marketer, but it's not, it's, there's so many systems that are really clunky and hard for people. It takes a lot of their time to support you, to take actions. So we made this tool that makes it really fast and fun and easy for busy C-level execs who love your brand, we make it easy for them to actually support you. They don't have to go into a boring Slack channel, copy some crap and like paste it on their LinkedIn and spend half an hour on your behalf. Like nobody has that time, or at least not the advocates that you want. So we built this point solution. and, And I realized after Gated Wrapped that everyone could use it. It's a product that we could build for other companies to use. We built it only for Gated internally. So over the last month and a half, um, actually the CTO at Gated, he 
has been building it. He built it up. Uh, I wrapped it with some branding that I think everybody will like, but we're turning it into a product that anyone can use. And it's really designed to be at like a Canva level of pricing. So a social media manager can swipe their card, get it, use it as a tool that they love to do their job better. And it's not like you need VP of marketing approval. It's going to be a very built for the end ground marketer type of tool just to make our jobs easier, better, more fun. Um, So it's not going to compete with these big customer advocacy platforms or big integrated stuff. It's just a point solution, but it definitely worked for us. And I cannot wait to bring it to everyone else. And yes, it does have some fun branding. Well, I am very excited about that. Can we say the name yet? Can we tell people where to go or, or should yeah. we keep that secret? No, I can tell people as of two days ago, there is a kind of a, a coming soon-ish page that gives you an inkling of what it is going to be. And you can uh, support us. We actually are running fully bootstrapped. So you can make the choice to kind of pre-buy access to the tool and get some discounts. But it is called Nut Tree. And my favorite one-liner is uh, all your nuts in one place. And if I were to put that in more, what it is, it is the fast, fun way to help your biggest fans of your brand, your biggest nuts, help you grow your brand online. So it's it should be a really fun tool for people to get a hold of and start playing with very soon. Well, that, that's I, I, my brain just going with all the puns I can make. Oh, um, there's so many nuts. That is. <laughs> Because I'm a punk guy. That, that is so cool. This is actually a, a good segue because you're talking very much about the user is going to do it and it's it's user led. You are a very strong advocate for user first marketing. Yeah. First, could you just explain to our listeners what that is? Yeah. I mean, anybody with like the background in marketing in a really, really standard textbook way, we know that we should be talking to your users. You need to talk to them. You need to ask them what pain points is it solving? What are their needs? What are their fears, right? Like, so we as marketers do research that's about the user. A, I think sometimes we forget. So hello, everybody listening. How how recently have you talked to your actual customers? <laughs> Pop quiz, everyone. If you're getting in the Not weeds Not CS of- people either. CS, yep. you should yep. talk to them. But like, first of all, I'd be worried if you're CS people, can't answer that. But CS people, you don't count right here. We're talking to yeah. people who- in other roles. And if you want to, if you want to cheat a little bit, like, okay, are you listening to gong recordings, right? Like, are you listening to CS recorded calls? Like that's okay if you're getting it digested, but really like actually listen to your customers because we peddle crap all day long that they don't need. And getting out of that mindset is the first step for marketers to do user-led. The second thing I think in this world and a lot of the software plays that we're seeing now is if, if you're in any sort of a company that has a PLG motion, marketers need to be aligned with products. So not only are you marketing to them, speaking to them in the right way, but you should be helping shape a product that actually solves their problems. And sometimes, um, you know, Lotney Conant at Sixth Sense always talks about uh, the chief market officer, not the chief marketing officer, but the chief. Mar- you should have a say in product and pricing. And, you know, like, let's get back to the four Ps. Like, it is the role of the marketer to think about how a user both, you know, sees your product in the wild, but also how they engage with it and use it and how it solves their pain. So yeah, I could go on all day. I feel like there are definitely ways in which we do this better, but 
just stop and think about the dang human. Like that's that's what it comes mm-hmm. down to. And it's silly that we have to say that, but there are a lot of marketing that does not. Yeah, and I mean, it, it sounds obvious, but again, it's deceptively simple. Like, mm-hmm. yes, listen to your user. Yes, listen to your customer. A lot of people will say, okay, we're doing that. But like to, to your mention, there, there's more you can do than just listen to a gong mm-hmm. calls or whatever call strip you're using. What is something, and you mentioned PLG before, yeah. and you can't really be PLG if you're not user-led. Right. Uh, so, I mean, you could. Well, you can. Opinion. You could build some uh, weird, yeah, the product that doesn't quite fit. I mean, that's when you don't have product market fit if you haven't actually been listening. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, what is something really specific when you say, like, listen to your users? What What can people do actionably? I've got a good one based on the story here. So as we were building Gated, I would have regular calls with our um, early users. I mean, regular. I was meeting with probably five of them a week. So two tips. The first is ask them to describe things to you before you put any words in their mouth. So whenever you're having these conversations, ask them to describe. That is actually where we got the tagline that kind of changed our whole marketing strategy. So one of our customers called Gated the he- the, the, wire, um, the noise-canceling headphones for email. And boom, that was it. Immediately resonated. Everybody I said that to, they got the product without having me to explain it. It was a very unique product, hard to explain. That Mm -hmm. solved it. So have the conversations and literally write down the good words they say and then put that ish in your copy. Like take what they say, put it in your copy. Step one. The next thing is my favorite trick is as you're listening, if you hear someone say something five separate times, not one, if you hear different customers say something five times, check mark it. That is what you go on, move on, start asking other questions. Like sometimes we do a hundred interviews and we're like, well, they said all these different things. No, if you hear something five to eight times, call it gospel and move on. Like that's my, that's my line item. Stop asking people at that point. Be like, great. That that's, that's a pain point. We're moving on. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, it's time for our next segment. Spill the tea with Lee. This is the segment where we spill the tea on all things B2B. That's right. This is the sassiest podcast for B2B, and it's going to get juicy. All right, Melissa. So you're you're a co-host of a very successful marketing podcast, Two Pizza Marketing. Wanted to give that a shout out, obviously, because it's it's great for small marketing teams. I've listened to it a bunch. There's lots of actionable insights. Um, but but the name Two Pizza Marketing it, it comes from the the Two Pizza Rule, where it's no meeting should be so large that two pizzas can't feed the whole group, right? Yeah. Right. The and, unnamed founder of Amazon coined that one, I think. <laughs> right. I was about to say, like, uh, he who cannot be named. Uh, he did that in his early. <laughs> he did that in his early days, and I know he he's a big proponent of that. But what happens if two pizzas can't feed the whole group? What happens when there are too many people on, on a call? Ooh, okay. Let's take this in the context of any meeting anyone's ever been in, but also let's take it in the context of marketing teams. So if you think to a marketing team that has like eight people, 10 people, you can probably still run pretty fast. You're getting in the world where people maybe have more siloed jobs. You've got like the content marketing leader and you've got the, you know, different people, uh, someone running like paid demand gen campaigns. Like people have You've gotten to the point where you're not just one person's doing it all. People are starting to have siloed um, roles. Once you start getting past eight to 10, I would posit to say that's when the business structure overall is also starting to get more 
like you're starting to see flow charts and org charts of who's reporting to whom. Uh, you know, is there a product marketing org separate from the centralized marketing org? Is there an internal marketing team now? Like all the marketers, once you get more than eight to 10 marketers in a company, start to have their own structure. So that starts is what's happening. Now we could go all day on the problems that start coming with that. The best way I've seen this work, and I've actually talked to people who call themselves two pizza marketers, but they're at a huge company. But within their marketing department, they feel like there's a small team. So you have three to five of you. Sure, there are other marketers at the company, but your little team is operating like that. So I think that's the point is as you grow, you have to find a way to maintain those small agile teams. Yes, they're part of a bigger structure like at Amazon, right? But like, Mm -hmm. can you maintain small enough pockets that within each of them, they're running fast and they're agile and they can iterate and they can test. How's, I think. how's the pizza in Alaska? Uh, super good. <laughs> Actually, one of our spots, the uh, Moose's Tooth is, I think it's like number one or three in the country rated. It's really, there's wow. Moose's Tooth. Moose's spot? Moose's, Moose's Tooth? Tooth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. So that just does not sound appetizing for me. I don't I would not want to eat at a place called Moose's Tooth, but it's um, it's an, it's named after a mountain. It's named after a mountain. Okay. So yes, I'll say okay. that makes more sense. You're right. It's I've never <laughs> but, thought about it, but that's a, sounds terrible from the out yeah. I'm gonna find it for you. But yeah, so you have great pizza there? Wow. Okay. Yeah. If anyone goes to Alaska, that that's the pizza shop to go to. Totally. Um, it's in the show notes now. <laughs> <laughs> so we mentioned uh Wednesday Woman a bit. Yeah. Wanted to just touch on it because you're amplifying voices of, of outstanding, outstanding women leaders. Mm-hmm. A big so you have three goals for my my understanding. One of which is getting more women to speak on stage, mm-hmm. and I think if we could just focus on that for for a bit, that is a big thing I'm seeing with with mantles, not mammals, mantles. You know, purses like male purses, like the mantle is all male panels. Like yep. whether it's a webinar, or a B two B event, like so many speakers and are just like they're all men panels. Mm-hmm. What can we do about that? Why is that happening? Okay, so two quick pieces of context on Wednesday women that I think will answer this question. The first is there are a lot of amazing groups out there for women by women. You you have to join. You can join another Slack group. You maybe are paying money to develop yourself. Wednesday women, part of what we were founded on is busy executive women. We have enough shit to do. It's not on us to keep growing ourselves and and work harder to get in more keynotes. No, like these women are out there kicking ass. Like they don't have time to work harder to get on more panels. What we need, and that's what Wednesday women is founded for, is greater visibility, more examples in the world of awesome women doing awesome things that yes, someone should pick up the call, pick up the phone and say, I need you on my panel, right? So our mission overall is to increase the visibility of extraordinary women leaders originally in your LinkedIn feed, but then that extends to stages, which we call keynotes, panels, and podcasts. There, If I hear somebody else say, well, yeah, we have this all man, man panel because we couldn't find any women leaders in CS. Like, are you kidding me? They're out there. A, you're not looking hard enough, or B, you just don't care. So what we're hoping to do is make it stupid easy. If you don't have the network, I guess I kind of understand. If you feel awkward about asking someone, okay, I kind of understand. We want to make it so easy for anyone putting together an event 
if they don't have someone in their circle, how do we help them find it? So Mm -hmm. we're actually going to be releasing some cool stuff next year that makes it like very easy for anyone to say, I need a sales leader who lives in the East Coast and is open to speaking on podcasts. We're going to help you find her. Because if for some reason, and I'm not going to judge people, they feel like that person's not already in their network or they don't want to ask for whatever reason, can we make it so easy to find those women because they're everywhere. They're amazing. And they're kicking ass. I love that. That that's so important. And yeah, I think, you know, one, there is the bias, but I also think a lot of times it's, it's the unconscious bias too, where it's like, Oh, I didn't even realize my network's all men or I don't know. Everybody I knew in sales was, was a white dude in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, And like the five guys, the five guys on your panel are probably all great and they probably all have really great mm -hmm. perspectives, but like, just a little bit of effort and we could maybe have a slightly more balanced set of also all great people. Um, yeah, I don't, there's a lot of groups that get up on a high stool about like, it's gotta be equal. It's gotta be this. That's not really my take. It's not really Wednesday women's take. Like we're not here to judge people for doing it wrong, but there is definitely like when you see it, uh, when you see a mantle and it's fine, you just kind of have that moment of like, really? Like really? Mm-hmm. Like it's just a little bit of effort and you could have, not done that (laughs) yeah yeah um so let's spill the tea some more what makes you roll your eyes on linkedin either trend type of post um, advice what makes you roll your eyes oh i mean a lot of things make me roll my eyes my very least favorite thing i believe is actually this hit me yesterday it's the trolls it's not even what people post because some people post a variety of things. I I don't want to judge what people are deciding to put out there as their own personal brand. But what I really, really hate is is just how sickeningly awful some of the comments can be on what might otherwise be just a positive post. Like a lot of people will drop Mm in uh, jaw dropping comments on what is normally just like a yay. You could just say yay or hell, scroll (laughs) past it. Don't leave a comment. Yeah, I can't. And I know that's the state of the internet now, but I think my least favorite thing is people who are professionals leaving comments that are just straight up trolling. Like you're not a hidden commenter on YouTube at this point. Like we can see your suit jacket. We know what company you work for. You're really going to drop a troll comment on someone, whatever. So I had Jackie Leahy on who from activate the magic. Yep. Uh, she was also a former teacher. She was in kindergarten though. And, and young one. So elementary school, um, you were in high school and you mentioned there was a, uh, the linguistic aspect of it yeah so i i asked her this i want your take what is similar and different between running a classroom and running a startup oh god that's a great question one of my favorite teacher hacks and also frankly it's a parenting hack that i use regularly with c-level executives get ready for this one is give them options it's not do you want to eat your broccoli no it's do you want to eat broccoli or peas and from my perspective, either one of those works. But you give people the feeling of being involved in making decisions. As a startup founder, we do that all the time, especially with like boards and investors and um, executives, even sponsors and partners that you work with. Present them with two options that work well, but then people feel like they really have a choice. They feel like they've made the choice work like yeah. gangbusters with high schoolers and it definitely works with business people. 
that is that's great advice that yeah. that's really good one there's obviously like the empowerment part like oh i'm making the decision mm -hmm. but two it kind of it, it narrows it so it's clear like oh this person already thought of some solutions here's what we can do it's a lot easier to think about i love that yeah and i mean you're getting them somewhere, but you're also not leaving that blue sky, right? Like if you put, what should we do next in front of a CEO? Mm -hmm. It's like, like there goes your CEO. But if you say, okay, here are three <laughs> things. Which of these should we be doing first? CEOs love yeah. that. They love it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. that that's great advice. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to spill some tea again here. And I'm going to be really honest. You're going to correct me when I say wrong things, but I, I see advisory boards all the time. I, I know you, you've done a lot with the influencer marketing and the influence marketing. Yes. Um, advisors are all the rage, rage right now. So I have to be honest, like I see tons of posts of people announcing their new advisory positions. <laughs> and a lot of times it's like the same GTM influencers who I always see. So sometimes I wonder, I'm like, is that just a BS position to raise awareness? When is that the case? And when is the case of like an actual advisory board? Oh, it's such a good question. I did a deep dive on this the other day with um, Zoe Hartsfield. We talked about the difference between like an advocate, an advisor, an influencer, and um, uh, evangelist, I think it maybe was. But advisor, I think the problem with it is the title is blurry. Like nobody's defined it. So you can have strategic advisors for a startup that are getting paid in large equity and they have huge responsibility and you lean on them. That's one thing. There's also what actually what we did at Gated, which is more of like a modern advisory program, which is more advisors, less time commitment from them. At Gated, we made it official. They had equity in the company. Like they were advisors with an equity and a contract. I do think there's a lot of companies that are doing the same external model, but they're not actually give it, they may just be paying them something or they may be doing kickback referral models. I think the trick with that advisor title is there's a lot of different actual behind the scenes of what it might be. It might literally be paid influencers, but they're calling themselves advisors or yeah, it's like you get paid, but you also get this title to put. It's a really great strategy from like a presence growth on LinkedIn, it worked gangbusters for us because all of a sudden, instead of having two employees that could help push things out, I had 50, right? But I definitely roll my eyes a bit when it comes to light that they are not getting official equity or contracts, like even small, 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 but just legitimately structuring it in some way that is legal and follow throughable versus kind of slapping advisor titles on and you're not it's more like, hey, I like yeah. you. You like me. We'll talk about each other. It's like, that's co-marketing. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of followers. Like, so, I mean, so you you were saying like the right way to do advisor is what they actually do. I think the influencer part of it. <laughs> so legally, native advertising, you're supposed to always legally say if you've been sponsored paid. or if you're <laughs> being paid for this. LinkedIn does not have anything like that built in. Instagram has it. Facebook I haven't noticed that on, on, on LinkedIn. Interesting. I think the mm -hmm. respectable influencers do it in their own work. I've seen them say, you know, like I am, I am an influencer or they have some wording in there. Oh, I'm, I'm a big right. believer in that. I think you should. It, paying yeah. influencers a little amount of money to get to their audience is, is better than tons of ads. I'm a big believer in that. Totally. Yeah. It's interesting though, like technically as a platform that LinkedIn doesn't have that you know, built in. That's an interesting observation. Didn't realize that, but good point. 
I just thought of that now too. Maybe I'll talk mm-hmm. to some of my LinkedIn people about that. Yeah. But but yeah. I'm not currently um, getting paid as any influencer, so I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm not currently getting paid anything, so yeah. Cheers to you and um, me not getting paid. Here we are on the podcast. Woo! Well, hopefully that changes soon. Melissa, this was such a fun episode. Lots of insights. Before we go, I always like to give a shout out and give you the moment to shout out things. I know we have two pizza marketing yes. where everyone should go and listen to if you're not listening to it already, especially if you are on a small marketing team looking for actionable insights. Yeah. The other I know you mentioned... Uh, nut tree where nut can tree. people sign up for that or early we, access i should say we just launched it so it is we've got the dot ee ending so it's www.nuttr.ee nut tree i'll put it in the show notes <laughs> yeah and that's right so nuttr.ee again mm-hmm. everyone go yeah. get i signed up i joined the wait list this yeah. today so you should do that too yeah what else would you like to call out uh, the last would just be Wednesday Women. We are super busy on LinkedIn, but we're doing more things. So that's WednesdayWomen.org. Um, boy, I've got a lot of shout outs. I need to streamline my my work. Well, like when I was writing the intro, I'm like, how do you have energy to do any? Like, do you sleep? Like, how, how do you do all this? Uh, that's a good question. I don't sleep a ton. Uh, I have kids that keep me on my toes and I try to get exercise. And those two things power me most of the days. Is that where all of your ideas come when, like, when you're exercising? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I'm outside, mm-hmm. doesn't have to be extra like hard exercise. Just being outside is where ideas come from. So maybe we just need to all move to Alaska and like go outside. And to be clear, we're talking outside in Alaska, not outside Alaska, right? Right, not outside. Yeah, yeah. Say call back from before people. Yeah, maybe we all just need to move to Alaska, enjoy the nature, and get some good ideas. That, that's clearly mm-hmm. working for you. <laughs> yeah, come on up and visit everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you, Melissa. And I will see everybody on the next episode of Lee to Be.